Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, good morning, church. Hey, God is good. (laughs) That is our proclamation, isn't it? That we serve a great and awesome God. Not only is He great and awesome, but He is good. And He's good to us, specifically. And um, so appreciated Ruth's testimony this morning, just her encouragement to us. Ruth, you still in here? She went downstairs? Okay. That's okay. God bless her. She's serving. And um, you know what? Susan, my wife, actually has uh, a word that she'd like to give to us this morning. Last time she was here, last time we were here, actually, she had brought a word, and I know it encouraged many people, so... We're partners in ministry together, so I'm just going to go ahead and invite her to come on up and uh, just share a little bit of what God's put on her heart before we get into the Word today. I could probably be loud enough without a mic, but sometimes I'm too quiet. So anyway, um, it's good to be here with you guys, and I don't necessarily have a word, but just a testimony of something that... um, God did, and I heard about it yesterday, and I, the moment I walked in the door, it was on my mind, and it was on my mind all through worship time, and I just, I just felt really strongly to share it, especially after Ruth's encouragement about if you have a need, ask the Lord, because he's here to meet our needs. He loves us. He's good to us. Um, Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. And, um, sorry, I can't breathe. I'm really out of breath these days, so, sorry, it's the baby. But anyway, um, so yesterday I was, my mom came over for a little bit, and this is my mom up here in the second row. It's a really nice lady. Um, and she, she just came back from a mission trip a few months ago in Guatemala, and um, she was telling me about something that had happened with a previous team that had gone down. There's a mission there that, um, there's a school, and um, one of the guys involved in this school, he lives in Guatemala, and his son has, like, he had a really bad, like, cleft lip, or cleft palate problem. I don't know if you've, you know what I'm talking about, it's like a birth defect where it's, uh-huh very, um, it's just a major problem. And so the team was there this whole week and they, um, they were concerned for this, this kid and they were praying and they were trying to, you know, contribute some money to a fund to just like see if at some point in the future down the road, maybe they could afford to bring somebody in and do a surgery for this guy. And, um, but they were praying about it and they knew that their contributions monetarily were not really going to cut it. And so um, they just kept praying. And the last morning that they were there, one of the guys in the group has a friend in the States who actually was a surgeon, but I don't think they were that close or anything. This surgeon in the States who specializes in um, cleft lip palate problems, he called this man in Guatemala out of the blue and said, hey, I just have really been feeling like I want to do a surgery for somebody. Do you know anybody who needs, do you know anybody who needs a surgery? Because I really, I would love to just come and do one. And he didn't know that this guy was in Guatemala praying for somebody to come and meet this need. And 
and I was like, really, Mom? He just called out of the blue? Like, he wasn't in touch? And I was like, no, he just called out of the blue. I'm like, wow. That's the power of prayer. And so I just want to say, if you have a need, it's not like God is just out there somewhere. He doesn't know who you are. <laughs> he doesn't care. It's not that way because he is a great God, but he loves you. And when you, um, when you put your trust in him, he knows that. And he, um, you know, if you're a parent, you know when your kids, you're right there. You're, if your kids call you, you're going to hear and you're going to come running. It's not like, oh, okay, whatever, I don't care. So um, I just encourage you, if you need prayer, if you need somebody to stand with you in a particular need, like, you know, everybody here, is, we want to pray with you and minister to you. So Amen. That's, that's an encouragement. Amen. Good, honey. You know what? I think some of us, most of us, all of us could say, you know what? We've got some pretty big needs in our lives. Some pretty great needs, but the fact is we serve a greater God. And I love what Jesus said when he talked about uh, meeting needs. He said it very simply, didn't he? He said, ask, and it'll be given to you. Just seek, and you're going to find. Just knock, and the door is going to be open to you. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door is going to be open. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. The problem is, most of the time, we don't believe it. Jesus made it very simple. He made it very clear. If you're one of my sheep, if you belong to my sheepfold, I'm your great shepherd. I'm your pastor. I'm your father. I am going to care for you. All you have to do is ask. Just believe. Just seek. Just knock. I'm there for you. And uh, you can tell. I mean, we, we can just feel the heart of God this morning just through the testimonies, the prophetic testimonies that have come already. Amen? Can you hear that? What Bruce said, what Susan said, what was just coming. This is the heart of God to us. He loves us. and He just wants to care for us and bless us. Now, it's true that life isn't just about us getting our needs met. If that was all we had in life, of course, life would be pretty shallow. We have what? We've got direction. God's got a plan. God has taken us someplace. This morning we're going to be talking about the king and his kingdom. We've started this series for that very reason, so that we can know what it is that God has for us and what God has for the earth in our own day. But we can always remember this, that the Lord loves us so much that he's willing to care for us and he's willing to meet our needs if we'll only ask speak, and we'll only knock. We take a little time with him. He will open up heaven's door to us, and blessing will come. Let's just give him thanks right now. Lord Jesus, we just say thank you for that. Lord, thank you that you're a God who loves us, Lord, and and you've not only provided redemption and salvation to us, Lord Jesus, but you care about our needs in the here, in the now, even our short-term, temporary needs, God. You care about those things. And you want to bless us. You want to strengthen us, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you also that, Lord, we can't always figure you out. You're not like some other person on earth, Lord. We can't just look at you and say, oh, I know exactly what he's going to do. Lord Jesus, you are unpredictable. You're the Lord of the universe. But I thank you, Lord, that as we lift our voices to you, as we cry out to you, as we look to you as the great shepherd of the sheep, 
Lord, you're there. You hear us and you answer. And Lord, we even thank you this morning that you have already met our greatest need. Lord, you have set us free from our sin. You have reconciled us to God. And you have brought us, Lord, the redemption and the freedom that we could not win for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Thank you that you are good, Lord Jesus. Now I just pray, Lord, that you would just open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. Lord, we don't want to hear from man this morning. We want to hear from you this morning. Lord, we want more of Jesus this morning. Just thank you for that now, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So we, uh, as a group of churches here in our network, we've started this series called The King and His Kingdom. And we started that last week, right? Johnny brought the first in the series. How many people here for that? That's about half of you at least. Thank God the rest of you came this morning. But we're talking about the fact that Jesus, when He came to earth, not only did He bring salvation. Not only did he come to rescue us, but he brought his kingdom with him. The king always brings the kingdom. Wherever the king is, wherever the king travels, he brings his kingdom with. And so when Jesus came to earth, he brought his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We are all part of God's kingdom. We all belong to God's domain. And there's something that he's going to do for us in his domain. And um, I want to take a look at the roots of of the kingdom today. And in looking at the roots, we can see where this kingdom is going. You know, the kingdom of God is not just some new thing that God has made up here in the last couple hundred or a couple thousand years. It's not as if God decided, oh, my people need a kingdom, so I'll just create some sort of kingdom. But we need to look back in the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is so cool, so wonderful for so many reasons. One of them being, if we can understand the history that God has had with the earth and with His people, we'll have an understanding of where His people now are going to be going into the future. Because we see God's plan in His Word. Amen? And so we see the kingdom of God going all the way back to the book of Genesis. So let's turn to Genesis this morning. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 15. So I'm taking us back this morning to the Garden of Eden. Now there's actually two accounts of how God made man. Upon the earth. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 1, and then there's another retelling which is more detailed in Genesis chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see where does man fit in in all of the creation and all the creative work that God did. So as God was creating the earth and the moon and the stars and the other planets, and he was forming the land and the water, we see in chapter 1 that man is actually the highest of God's creation, he's the pinnacle of God's creation. And so in chapter 1, we see that um, God has set His priority in all His creation, and His priority is mankind. Then in chapter 2, God opens up a little bit more, and we see a little bit more about how God dealt with man. So I want to read verse 15 here. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Let's just stop right there. So we see that from the very, very beginning, God has had a purpose for mankind. God created this garden, and we know that the garden is situated in the Middle East. If we read a little bit more here, it talks about how the garden is situated between several rivers, which was a provision of water for the garden because there was no rain on the earth at the time. And God had created this little paradise, and He put man inside this paradise. And it wasn't just for man to enjoy, 
but it was so that man would have a sense of responsibility and an ability and opportunity to cooperate with his creator in what the creator had actually created. God is always wanting us to cooperate with what he's doing. God is always wanting us to work with him in what he's doing. And that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 where God created this beautiful lush garden. He puts man in the center of it. And he says, now look, you're going to work it and you're going to take care of it. This is God's plan. This is what God had wanted. Let's keep reading here. I'm going to start in verse 16. And it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. We can get a sense here of how man, Adam, is actually working with God now in God's creation. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So what a beautiful picture here. Man is enjoying all that God had created. A lush, beautiful garden filled with his glory, filled with his purpose. Man and woman together, given the responsibility to work in this garden, to tend the garden, and to care for what God had given them. And it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. Now it's interesting, when we think about the Garden of Eden, most of the time we think about the fact that, well, here's this little idyllic garden, this beautiful little paradise, and there's a man, he's naked, there's a woman, and she's naked, and they probably have some kids, and they're all naked, and you've got this naked little family running around this little garden, and they're happy, and it, it's sort of this weird little fairy tale, you know. But the truth is, that... That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't what God was aiming for. That little picture, we just kind of wipe it out of our minds. I know sometimes the little children's books have that. I know my son has some like baby Bibles and they sort of paint that picture. And I'm trying to tell him, son, it, it's not quite like that. There's more to the story than a naked family running around and enjoying you know, what God had created there. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 because I believe it gives us some important insight to what God is doing. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now let's take note of this. Whenever God, or whenever the scriptures are referring to man, or quoting God as referring to man, 
He's talking about both the male and the female together. He's not talking about only the one figure of the man. He's talking about a male and a female. Because together they are mankind. And so it's talking about here the fact that God made man, He made the male and the female creation in His own image. In His own image. Meaning that God intended that we would be able to see His image in man. We could see God in man. We can see God in one another. That was God's intention from the beginning. So as we look at one another, we would see the very image of God. We could see God within one another. That is very, very important. So let's hold on to that for right now. But God determined that we would be able to see himself in one another. Very important thing that we have to remember. And then he says that God, that man was to rule over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, over the sea, over everything that God had created. God wanted man, meaning the male and the female, to have rule and to have authority over all of his creation. So we see this, and we see that God created people to be in his image, to carry his likeness, so that we could see God within one another. But then it was also his intent that we would carry his personal authority over all that he created. Over all that he created. And if we go on, reading here in verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now notice God said to them, Be fruitful and fill the earth. So God tells them now, Tend! Tend this garden, this beautiful paradise. It's not very big. But my plan for you is this, that as you tend the garden, as you work the garden, as you are responsible for what I've created here, this garden is going to grow. And as it grows, it's going to fill in the whole of the earth. And you're going to have more responsibility. So as the garden grows, your responsibility is going to grow. As the garden grows, there's going to be more for you to do. And you're going to multiply. There's going to be more people. But then there's going to be also a multiplication of authority so that as this garden reaches out and spreads across the earth, your authority is going to reach out and spread across the earth with it. And so sometimes we think that when God created the Garden of Eden, He just meant that there would be this little garden on the earth in the Middle East, and you'd have this little family there, and that was going to be the end of it. No. God's original intention was that that garden would grow, and it would fill the whole of the earth. Now, what's the one thing gardens do that we know of? They grow. They grow. I mean, that's, that's all they do is they grow. If you leave them alone, they will grow. You plant something in the ground, it eventually grows. And so this was a natural garden. It was meant to grow. And God had given Adam and Eve authority. And that authority would spread over the earth as they continued to tend the garden. It was a natural thing. It was going to be a garden without borders. Now we know from the Word of God that um, there were two special trees in this garden. One was the tree of life. And the other one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many remember those two trees? Yeah, I mean, usually the tree of knowledge of good and evil gets all the talk. You know, everybody's talking about that because that's the bad one. But there was also a tree of life. Both of those trees were right in the middle of the garden. And what did God say? God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You could have any fruit, but stay away from that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that. Obey me in this, and your life will be blessed. You can eat from everything else. 
Now, Genesis 3 talks about uh, the tree of, uh, of life. And uh, actually, after the fall of man, after Adam and Eve sinned, God said this, I have to keep them away from that tree of life because if they eat of its fruit, they're going to live forever. And that's not going to happen anymore because sin has now entered the world. And so what we can learn from that is this, that in the garden, Adam and Eve were supposed to eat from this tree of life. And the tree of life would give them what? It would give them immortality. Immortality. And they were free to eat from that tree because God said, you can eat from any tree except for the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so that tree was there for them and they could eat from that tree. But we know what happened. They ate from the wrong tree. Instead of choosing life, they choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that Satan came to them first to Eve and said, did God really say that you couldn't have that anymore? And Satan deceived them. And Satan told them, God knows that if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like God, and God doesn't want that. But here's the problem. We know that Adam and Eve were already made how? In God's image, right? Adam and Eve were already like God. But Satan comes, and he deceives them and says, look it, God doesn't want you to be like him, so stay away from that tree. That's why God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit. He doesn't want you to be like him. But what's the truth? God created them in his own image already, didn't he? It was a lie. Satan was trying to take from them the very thing that God had already given and then go ahead and tell them that he didn't want that for them. It was the deception of the enemy. That's how the enemy works. God gives us all things to enjoy. Satan comes and he, he tries to make God to be out some kind of uh, stingy old man who doesn't want to give anything to his kids. And as we already said this morning, God is good. God is wanting to answer our prayer. He's wanting to answer our needs. He's wanting to be a God who blesses us if we just reach out, if we ask and seek and knock. But Adam and Eve believed the lie. They ate the fruit from the tree. And sin entered the world. Now let's take this story to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if we could. I want to bring us into the, Old Test- into the New Testament. And... Uh, There's much more of the kingdom of God that we can find in the Old Testament, but let's move this along this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verse 45. And it says this, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That last Adam is Jesus. There was the first Adam in the garden, and then it says that Jesus himself is the last Adam. So why? Why is Jesus being called the last Adam? There was really only one Adam by name. But it says that he's the last Adam. Why? Well, if we read throughout the Old Testament, God had said many iterations of Adam. First there was the original Adam in the garden, but then after that came Noah. What was God trying to do through Noah? He was trying to to give mankind another chance, a second chance at what God had originally set up in the garden. And then after Noah came who? Came who? Abraham. God was working through Abraham to give God's people a second chance again. Then after Abraham came Moses. God was working through Moses to give his people a second chance. And then you have all these judges who are trying to help Israel. God was trying to give Israel a second chance through these judges. 
Then we have David. God was trying to give the whole earth a second chance through David. But in each one of those situations, sin came. What follows sin is shame. What follows sin and shame is death. So in each one of those cases, sin came and just got in the way of God's plan once again. Now it's easy to look at that and think, well, what is God doing? It seems like he tried and he failed and he tried and he failed and he tried and he failed and he had all these men of God and each one of them failed. Was God just going to keep striking out? Well, what was God actually teaching us? That we don't just need a godly man. We need a Savior. We don't just need someone who's good. We need a sacrifice. And so all those leaders were actually reiterations of an Adam. Always God trying to bring His people another opportunity, another chance to get it right, another chance to do it over again. But of course, throughout the whole Old Testament, there was always this picture of the coming Lamb of God who would be the one and the last Adam. There's not going to be any more Adams. Jesus was the last. Why? Because Jesus defeated sin. Jesus got it right. And since Jesus defeated sin, He defeated shame. And He defeated death. Jesus did what the first Adam could never do. And so it's all done now in Jesus. Jesus Himself is the last Adam. We can thank Him for that, can't we? We can thank Him for that. He sets us free from sin, from shame, from death. Everything that God had ever wanted is done now through Jesus. So through Jesus, there's there's a new garden. And it's called what? It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the new garden on earth. And there's a new family. Who's that family? It's the church. We're now the new family. Thank God we're clothed, amen? But we're now the family of God. We're now the family of God. And there's a new start for everyone. Everybody gets a new chance. Everybody gets a new opportunity. And this is the one thing that we all need to hear in this story of creation and of the kingdom. There's a new start for all of us. It doesn't matter how bad we failed. It doesn't matter how miserable our marriages may be. It doesn't matter how bad our kids may be. It doesn't matter how we messed things up before we came to God. It doesn't matter how bad we kept messing things up after we came to Him. There's always a new chance, a new start in Jesus. That's God's intention. He's the last Adam. Jesus got it right. He defeated sin and shame and death for us. He broke the power of it all. And you know what? Jesus Jesus brings us life. Now, in the garden, where was really the source of life? The source of life was that tree of life that was in the middle of the garden that had fruit on it and that that first couple were meant to eat. But that's changed now. Jesus is now the source of life. Jesus said in John 6, if anybody eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they will have eternal life. So not only is Jesus the last Adam, He's also that tree of life for us. And sometimes people freak out over that verse in John 6. What does Jesus meaning about eating flesh and drinking blood? And there's uh, some church denominations will say, oh, that's meant to be the Eucharist, or that's meant to be communion. You know, as we take communion, that turns into His flesh and blood. No, Absolutely not true. That's not it. What was Jesus saying? Well, he's saying this, I believe. Here's what I believe he was saying. That eating and drinking is part of our normal everyday routine. Why? Because it sustains us, right? We can't physically have life. We can't physically live unless we eat and drink on a daily basis. And I believe Jesus was just simply saying this, 
that we have to take him in on a daily basis, on a daily basis to have spiritual life. If we don't, we won't last very long. You know, how many of you have gone through fasting? Not my favorite thing. On my list of favorite things, it's not even on the list. And on my list of unfavorite things, it's probably way at the bottom. But fasting teaches us this, that we cannot sustain our physical bodies without food and water. But the more important thing that we learn is that we cannot sustain our life at all without Jesus on a daily basis. And he's saying that if you take me in every day, if you come to me, if you eat from me, if you receive from me, I'll make sure that you're going to have life, eternal life. Life that goes just beyond what we have in the shell of this body today. And so Jesus is, he is our tree of life to us. And so, you know, God's plan has not changed from the beginning of creation. It was God's intention that his creativity, his power, his glory, his garden would fill the whole of the earth. Even today. Now it took, as far as we can tell, four or five thousand years from the time that God created that first garden in the Middle East to the time when Jesus actually came. And now we're a couple thousand years even later at this point. So we're looking at maybe five, six, seven, eight thousand years, something like that, depending on how you get into the science of it all and how you want to read it. I've got my opinion, but we're not going there today. But after thousands of years, God's plan has not changed. His intention is that His glory, His power, His goodness, His love would spread across the whole of the earth. And it's going to be done through the new garden, which is His kingdom. God wants His kingdom to expand. Let's go to my last scripture here in Mark chapter 4. And I love this because Jesus talks about the kingdom here. Verse 26. And Jesus is giving just a series of parables to help people to understand what the kingdom of God is about. And he says in verse 26, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A guy scatters seed on the ground. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We're, we're back to the growing phase of the garden again, aren't we? Just like the garden was intended to grow in a natural way as Adam and Eve and and the rest of those who would come were meant to just work that ground and tend to it. It was going to be a garden without borders, and it would just begin to spread and expand and grow. The kingdom of God works the exact same way. The kingdom of God is a growth vehicle. God intends that the kingdom of God works through seed-bearing to grow. And he says, a man just goes out and he spreads seed on the ground, and he goes to sleep, and he gets up, and all of a sudden something starts to pop through the dirt, and the guy who put the seed in there doesn't know how. He doesn't know what's happening. He's not very smart. He's not a scientist. All he knows is when he puts seed in the ground, something then grows. And eventually a time comes where there's actually fruit that you can get from what's grown. He puts the sickle to it, and there's a harvest for God in it all. And it all starts with the seed. You know, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes you'll feel guilty because you think, I'm not doing anything big for God these days. 
or I've never done anything big for God ever in my life. You know, and the enemy just uses that and he twists that inside of us. Why can't you do more? Why don't you do something big for God? How much fruit have you grown for God? But the fact is, we're not called to do anything big for God. What are we called to do? Plant a little seed. That's it. A little seed. You know what? I'm okay with protesting and marching and doing all kinds of things. But in God's economy and His kingdom, if we want to start a revolution, we plant a little tiny seed. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's the smallest of all seeds. It's a mustard seed. He said, just take a little seed, just put it in the ground. Don't worry about what's going to happen. I've created the laws on the earth that will make that seed grow. And there will be a harvest if you're willing to put a little seed out there. You know what? We don't have to do big things for God. If we're willing to take the little seed and just throw it out there, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. You know, I was, um, I was thinking about this whole thing with planting seed in the kingdom. Um, the last time it actually snowed pretty good, which was, I don't, I don't remember, last time I had to actually shovel out couple weeks ago, a month ago, whatever. Thank God it hasn't been much, hasn't been much this winter. But uh, I had done my driveway, I had done the sidewalk, and I even shoveled a path to my garbage cans, which are on an alley, you know. And so it's just on the other side of our gate right there on an alley. And what happens when it snows, the plow comes through and just it makes a nice path in the alley, but it just, you know, plows in all the, the garbage cans on, on each side, you know. And so I'm sitting there, I'm staring at my garbage cans, and I begin to think, now, now, those guys who empty those garbage cans, it must be miserable for them, you know, after it snows. Because the street or the alley may be clean, but the garbage cans have like four feet of snow in front of them, and they've got to pull them out if they can, or, or kick the snow out or whatever, just to do their job. And God put it in my heart just to shovel out the garbage cans now every time it snows, just so they wouldn't have to do it. And the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, that's a little seed. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Because maybe, just maybe, now I know they empty maybe hundreds of garbage cans every day in their job because they work five, six days a week. But maybe the next time they come around or at some point when they come around in the spring or something, maybe I'll happen to be there. I'll run into them. Maybe they'll remember, oh, this is the guy who actually shovels the cans out for us. Maybe we can just talk a little bit. You know, maybe, maybe I'll have a chance just to say thank you. I appreciate what you're doing. Maybe I'll have a chance to share the gospel. Who knows? But it all starts with a little seed. And I thought, well, this is something I can do. You know, I'm not really into the big heavy sell on, of the gospel. You know, it's just not me. But I can shovel out my garbage cans just to be a nice guy and to help those dudes. You know, just a little seed. I remember one time my wife and I were out to dinner and uh, we're talking to our waiter. We're just having a good time. Got to know him just a little bit. And he walked away and and Susan is like, you know what? I feel like I've, I've got a word for our waiter that um, everything's going to be okay with his girlfriend. And she's like, I don't even know if he's married, if he has a girlfriend. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, honey, just do it. Just tell the guy. Let's see what happens. Let's just take a chance. And so he comes back, and I sort of weigh into it just by saying I'm a pastor. We're Christians here. And, you know, my wife just hears from the Lord, and she feels like she has uh, something she wants to say to you from God. And so she tells him, He's like, oh yeah, well, I'm actually living with my girlfriend right now and we're going through some difficult times right now. We have to make some decisions and thanks for telling us that or telling me that, you know? And I thought, wow, what was that? That was just a seed. We didn't do a hard sell of the gospel. Now there's a time when you have to share people the gospel, you know, you have to let them know. But there's times, so many more times when God just puts a little bit of seed in our hand. All we got to do is 
put it right in the ground. God takes care of the rest. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how the kingdom spreads. That's how the kingdom advances. Taking a little bit of seed, putting it in the ground. Putting it in the ground. That was God's intention from all along. I mean, that even back in the garden in the book of Genesis, that that garden, all those plants were seed-bearing plants. As they began to grow, they would produce seeds. The seeds would get released, and the garden would continue to spread until it filled the whole earth. That's a picture of God's kingdom right now. That's what he wants. We just get a little bit of seed out there. Those seeds are going to grow. God's kingdom is going to spread. We're going to see his glory everywhere. I don't know about you. I want more glory. I want more glory for God. I want to see his glory. I want to see his power. I want it to spread right here, right where you guys are at, in Munster, where I live, and where you go to church. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand together? Father, we say thank you that um, you've never given up on your plan from the beginning. Thank you that uh, when mankind turned to sin in the garden, Lord, that you never gave up on mankind. Lord, that you've always had a plan. You've always had a way to victory for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we see the testimony of your goodness throughout the Old Testament scriptures, Lord, right into the new. Lord God, thank you that your plan was that your garden, your kingdom would spread and expand, Lord. Thank you your plan was that we would carry your authority throughout the earth. Thank you your plan was that we would participate with you in your creative activity, Lord God. And we would be partners with you. And we would enjoy all that you're doing in the earth today. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for that. Lord, I just want to pray for us this morning. Lord, particularly and specifically, that we would be very conscientious, very aware, Lord, of the times when, when you give us seed to plant. Lord God, so often we feel guilty that we don't do enough for you. And we just fail to see that we have seed in our hand and we can just put that seed in the ground and watch you do something amazing. Watch you do a miracle. Watch you do something wonderful and powerful, God. Lord, help us to see that we're really just farmers. Just like the man in that parable that you told. Lord, we're just to put the seed on the ground. We go to sleep, we get up, and before we know it, growth begins to occur. God, help us, please, to release the seed that you've given us. Give us courage for that, I pray. Give us boldness. Give us sensitivity. We thank you for that. God, we do pray this morning, use us. Use us. Use us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you this morning. We love you this morning. We say that we need you this morning. We belong to you today. Your redemption and your salvation has won the day for us. We thank you. Fill our hearts afresh. I pray that you'd fill us with boldness just like you did that early church when they were gathered together, Lord, under just the pressure of persecution, God. They, they didn't ask to be released from it. They asked for boldness. They asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And while we may not be uh, persecuted like that right now, we do ask for what they asked, Lord Jesus. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with courage. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. We want to live for you with all we have. Thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.